I'm just going to introduce Dr. Perry again. Um, I, so I attend Covenant Seminary currently, um, where Dr. Perry is one of the professors there um, in the New Testament department, but he also um, is a um, leader of the Francis Schaefer Institute and involved with the City Ministry Initiative. Um, he's been very involved throughout the city um, in issues of justice, racial reconciliation, and just seeing the gospel cross cultures. Um, he's done extensive mission work overseas and think living in Australia for like three years, three years. Yeah. Three years. Um, and it's just been my privilege and my honor to sit under Dr. Perry's teaching. And so he's going to be just bringing the word to us today. And so I just really invite you after the outline discussions, and that's fine. <laughs> no, I just want to, if, if there's, if there's any confusion that I can help clarify from up here, but maybe there's not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I just want to ask you guys to give Dr. Perry your full attention. I know it's 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon. Who's feeling the... Are you guys feeling tired? All right. You're fine? I'm tired. So if you're tired, that's okay. But remember what I shared this morning? There's a psalm. There's a psalm that talks about the Lord holding our eyelids open. Yeah? So he's going to do that for us this afternoon as we engage with him, as we listen to him, as we hear his voice today. So I'm going to pray for Dr. Perry as he comes up here. And there's some outlines being passed out. And then there's also going to be some PowerPoint um, media up there. Um, But I'm going to pray for Dr. Perry as he comes up. So let's just gather our hearts as these outlines are getting passed out. And we'll just take a second. Um, Father God, we thank you so much for what you have been doing in our congregation. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just thank you. God, right now, even right now, we, we just kind of stop being distracted. We calm down. We quiet down again. We enter in. We believe, God, that you can move just as powerfully at 2.30 p.m. as at any other time of the day. We believe, God, that your desire is for your church and for your church to live out mission in the earth and that you have foundational things that you want to impart to us today. So God, we ask for living understanding right now. Holy Spirit, would you give us strength on the inside? Would you awaken our inner man? Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus, to see Jesus' desire for justice in the earth? Jesus, we thank you that you are the perfect picture of justice, that you died on the cross, that you won the day. And so right now, Lord, you're giving us power and strength to enter in and to hear your voice today, to learn of you, God. We just say that we are so thankful for the opportunity to hear you. We're so thankful for the opportunity to receive from your word, God. This is a privilege and this is an honor. We come under the word, Lord. We come under what you have to say to us today. We don't take lightly that you are so involved. You are fashioning and forming things in this congregation, God, and we'll hang on till the end. We won't check out in this last couple of hours, God. We're going to hang on till the end. We don't want to miss anything that you want to give us today, anything that you want to do in our hearts today, anything you want to do in our families and in our community today. So, Father, I just thank you for Dr. Perry. I ask for your anointing right now. Holy Spirit, would you just anoint his words, God? I thank you, Lord, that he has such wisdom and understanding. God, and I just ask for grace, Father. Pray, Father, for grace and a blessing on the inside for him, even as he speaks, God, that he'd be enjoying your presence. He would enjoy and love this God of justice, this God of the gospel that he um, is just so gifted um, in, in communicating. I pray, Father, you bless him even as he speaks this morning. We just bind back the attacks of the enemy on us as a community, on Dr. Perry as he's speaking, on anything the rest of this day, Lord. We thank you for your angels, which are here to do warfare. And we just say we want to hear you, Lord. So have your way, God. Have your way here, Jesus. Amen.
Give it up for Dr. Perry. Thanks, Adam. Water right there. Oh, thank you so much. It's a real privilege to be here with you. Uh, thank you for giving your Saturday to come out and to study God's Word together uh, as His people. Uh, what a privilege to open God's Word and to uh, hear from Him. Uh, I want to begin just by letting you know that I have been on and still am on a journey. Um, a journey of sort of wrestling through a connection that I have seen in the Word of God that probably like you, um, when God shows us something in His Word, it's upsetting, it's disturbing, because it means we have to do something about it. You know, we have to... It's not just uh, something to inform our minds. It's to inform our hearts and our hands as well. It's kind of head, heart, hands. God is interested in the whole person. And uh, He loves the whole person. Aren't you glad about that? Um, the psalmist is overcome with God's steadfast love. Uh, the psalmist is always singing about God's steadfast love. Psalm 89 um, talks about how, let the heavens praise your wonders, verse 3, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God that is greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. And then it talks about some of his incredible uh, actions and deeds and that they're done in faithfulness and in righteousness and in justice. We read in verse 14 as the psalmist sings, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, and who exalt in your name all day, and in your righteousness are exalted. Did you read in verse 14 that righteousness and justice are the very foundation of God's throne? What has struck me in God's Word that I am wrestling through in terms of changing my practice, trying to, to change uh, my relationships and change where my feet go and my hands go and my eyes go, is that there is a profound connection in the Scriptures between worship and witness, between Celebrating God's righteousness and justice in singing and in doing righteousness on the streets and in the schoolhouses and in our workplaces. Because righteousness is not just sort of this religious idea uh, of sort of getting our beliefs in order. It is that. We certainly need to believe the truth, but... According to the scriptures, the truth is also something that we do. It's something that we practice. John talks about that in his first letter. Walk in the truth, Paul says in Ephesians 4, right? Practice, do the truth. And so, if you turn over from the psalmist to Micah chapter 6, and we can find this in so many places. On the slide here, I think it's up in uh, Isaiah 58. But let me just turn your attention uh, to... 
Micah 6 for just a moment. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? In other words, how do I worship God? What's the right way to worship God, right? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You know, you remember in terms of the Passover that the firstborn of Egypt died and that the firstborn of your flock and the first fruits of our harvest and the firstborn son of our lives were to be dedicated to the Lord, right? In remembrance that He has redeemed the people. He has saved us. He's liberated us for a purpose, for a mission, right? Notice what he says here, how it is that we are to worship God rightly. Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love loving kindness or mercy or faithfulness? And to walk humbly with your God. There's a profound connection all throughout Scripture between the sanctuary and the streets, between worship and witness, between recognizing, celebrating, and loving a God who has made a people righteous in Jesus and who equips us with the power of the Holy Spirit to do righteousness that we might bless our neighbors, that we might bless our employees, that we might bless our bosses, right? It's a sweet thing. It's a beautiful thing. Righteousness is is that experience when those dislocated and broken bones are set right and they can be healed, our lives can be healed, right? Well, this connection between worship and witness is made by our Lord in one of the parables that he tells us about prayer. And once again, this strong connection between praying with our mouths and hearts and praying with our feet and hands. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is teaching about prayer and he tells a story. And the story, it says, is how we ought always to pray And not lose heart. He says, In a certain city there was a judge who never feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. And brothers and sisters, we've got judges like that. We've got police like that. Because, guess what? All of us are sinners. Police officers are sinners. Judges, sinners. Lawyers, sinners. Our neighbors, sinners just like us, right? The sin problem is not just confined to a certain part of our city or a certain part of a certain profession. No, it's dislocating bones everywhere, right? So there's this judge. He's supposed to be righteous, but... He is not righteous. He does not fear God or respect man. And yet, verse 5 says, Because this widow keeps bothering me, 
I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You know, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, realized something here from this passage. He says, you know, unjust leaders who are in power will not give up their unjust power easily. They have to be bothered. There's a place for protest. And what's interesting about this parable is not only is it a parable of how we shouldn't give up in praying, but it's praying about what? Praying for justice. Praying for change in our courts. Praying and working in our streets so that the dislocated bones of our city can be healed, right? There's a place for protesting injustice. It's all throughout the Bible, and we're going to look at that today, but I want to ask this question, why this connection between worship and witness, between true faith and being concerned about justice for my neighbor. Or as Jesus would say, why this strong connection between loving God and loving our neighbor? They're intimately connected. In fact, the parable of the Good Samaritan argues that we can't really love God without loving our neighbor. They're connected. And so if we're not loving our neighbors, the Lord is saying... We're not really loving God right. There's a connection between worship and witness. There's a connection. Why this connection? Because our neighbors are made in the image of God. Now, um, I teach at Covenant Seminary, and uh, we're unapologetically reformed in our theology. And so, uh, you probably thought that you might have a chance during this conference to hear from John Calvin. Well, here it is. Okay. John Calvin, writing in his commentary on Genesis, comments, Since they bear the image of God, God deems himself violated in their person. When our neighbors are abused and mistreated, God takes it personally. He looks upon his own gifts in them and thereby is excited to love and care for them. No one can be injurious to his brother or sister or neighbor without wounding God himself. For how is it that all being touched with weariness cry out, How long, O Lord? Except that they know that this confusion of order and equity is not to be endured. And this feeling is not implanted in us by the Lord, right? Isn't it? It is as though God heard himself when he hears the cries and groans of those who cannot bear injustice. There's a language throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Psalms. And it's in Lamentations. And it's in the book of Job. And it's in Ecclesiastes. And our Lord Himself took up this language on the cross. It is the language of lament. Lament is a language of protest against injustice. There's two main questions that are repeated in prayers of lament. 
and in practices of lament. And the questions are, how long, O Lord, is this going to go on? This is not right, right? The other question, you've probably asked it in prayer time and time again. It's okay to ask this question. It's all in the Bible. Why? Why, Lord? Why is it like this? Why are we feeling this pain and brokenness in our family as we struggle with marital issues, as we struggle with addiction issues, as our kids struggle in school? Why, Lord? Right? So these two questions, how long and why, are essential questions for lament, the language of lament. This quotation from Stephen Nichols wrote this wonderful book on the blues. Now, I love the blues. I've got a friend named Mo Leverett who writes in the blues style a lot. And time and time again, in Negro spirituals and in the blues and in jazz, the question, the central question of that longing music is how long? How long, O Lord? For many American evangelicals, Dr. Nichols writes, life is always like having spring or summer without winter or fall. Always Easter and never Good Friday. Not everything, however, in life or in the Bible plays in a major key. A theology in a minor key embraces what we so often go to extremes to avoid. The harshness and frailty of life, the presence of sin and evil, the shortcomings and limitations of humanity. The blues invites us to embrace the curse through its articulation of restlessness and despair, longing and disappointment. A theology in a minor key sounds a note of hope also as it leads us to the man of sorrows and to the cross. The blues artists sang out of frustration, even vengeance, but they sang giving voice to their hope for deliverance. I grew up in the church, and I'm so thankful for the ways in which my parents and my parents' friends told me about the Lord and led me to to Jesus at an early age. But one of the things that was true about my upbringing for the most part is I was protected. I was sheltered. And there were some good things about that. There were some good things about that. But also there were some bad things about that. Because it's not the reality of our world, is it? The reality of our world, and we're hearing it in this, oh, don't me get started about this presidential situation. I mean, I just want to weep. I just want to, I just want to weep. And that's the language of lament. We've got some praying to do, brothers and sisters. Our country's in trouble. It's in deep trouble. And it's not just about recovering our country for white people. It's not just about recovering our country in a certain political perspective. No, the problems that we have are much, much deeper than that. We need righteousness. We need faithfulness 
We need a recovery, a revival, right? Only the Lord can bring. So there's lots of lamenting to do. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 10. I want to provide an example here. We have several up on the on the screen, several types. Lament has a certain shape. There's certain elements, and you probably didn't think this was going to happen, but you're going to have homework when you leave. Uh, on your tables is an outline of how to write a prayer of lament. And I've given you the different parts of lament. There's five parts. It's pretty consistent uh, throughout the the Psalms. You can see this, these five parts. And uh, let's start with Psalm 10. Notice the first word, why. So the second element of lament, we could call it complaint. We could call it lament. But it's, it's that question why or how long, right? And there's an address to God. What's remarkable about these psalms is that we're we're given permission to talk to God about all the bad stuff. We do not have to pretend that everything's all right. We can bring our snotty-nosed prayers to God. We, We can weep and we can cry out. And we can complain yes. to God. Yes. That's wonderful. It's, it's, it's so liberating. I don't have to come with it all together. Because I don't have it all together. I need the Lord. And so there's a, there's a realism. A nitty gritty realism about the Bible that I love. It's the truth. It's the truth about our world. There's wonderful things. There's good things. There are certainly psalms of praise and happy clapping and singing and dancing. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Dancing before the Lord, right? But there is also weeping, sorrow, crying out in pain. And this is how it goes. Oh, Lord... Why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in their own schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one who's greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All of his thoughts are, there isn't a God. His ways prosper at all times, and your judgments are on high out of his sight. As far as all of his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I won't meet an adversary. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression or under his tongue and mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor, and he seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, and they sink down, and they fall by his might. And he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. 
He won't see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you might take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account until you find none. The Lord is the king forever and ever. The nations will perish from this land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Our God cares about the poor and about the fatherless. And he sees the parts of our city that look like this psalm. And he calls his people to pray like this, to cry out for a healing, for a resetting of the broken bones in our whole region so that all of the St. Louis region can flourish. So there's these parts. There's addressing the one true God with the pain, with the questions. But did you notice how detailed the revealing of the heart, how, how full of emotion it is? All right, so I have an un- uncomfortable question. Those of you who are married here, When do you know that your spouse is really serious about what they're saying to you? Their tone of voice changes, changes, doesn't it? What else? Facial expressions. Tears. Tears. Uh Uh-huh. They might even, like, make an appointment. They they might even ask for extended period of time. They might have thought before you sit down together very carefully about what they want to say. Does God know we're serious about justice? Does God know Or is it just a passing comment? Oh, it's in the news, so I better think about it. What the Psalms of Lament show us is how to be serious. How to write a prayer. How to take the time to show God we're serious. That we will answer the call to be involved with the restoration of justice in our government in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. But God wants to know if we're serious. And so casual prayers will not be good enough. You know, and this is not about earning anything from God. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whether or not the one who loves you and whom you love knows that you're serious. And how we show that. 
We show that with creativity. We show that with time. We show that with emotion. We show that by thinking ahead of time and planning ahead of time. And writing a prayer of lament like the psalm. This is a, this is an, a work of art. This is poetry. I don't know when the last time you wrote a poem, but you don't write poems fast. It takes a lot of thought. Right? So I'm going to challenge you and me to write a prayer of lament. To do some homework. To look at these psalms, Psalm 6 and Psalm 13. and We have two different kinds of prayers of lament. We have an individual prayer of lament and we have a corporate prayer of lament. Psalm 6 and Psalm 10 are, are individual prayers of lament. Psalm 79 is a corporate prayer of lament. God wants us to pray in our closet and He wants us to pray in the assembly. And I want to argue He wants us to pray on the streets as well. I'm running out of time, so I better move faster. All laments center around one deep central need. The feeling that God is not present. The sense that God has left the scene. And brothers and sisters, there are parts of our city where our neighbors feel that every single day. They feel that God has left them. That they have been abandoned. How will they know God's love? How will they know? Well, if their neighbors love them. The root of every biblical lament involves an apparent violation of this defining characteristic of God, God's chesed, His loyal love. It seems as though God has left Now, if you go back to the um, slide before, there's always a turning point in the Psalms of Lament. The turning point in the Psalms of Lament is when you cross the line from I or we to you. It's a very important line in prayers of lament. Both parts of the prayer are really important. You're actually sharing with God your heart, your sense of sorrow. And you're elaborating that to God. But the reason we're crying out to God is because we believe He can do something about it. And we know that that is true because He sent His only Son who embodies His said, His loving faithfulness, right? So in Psalm 10, you can see, if you go back there, that there's a crossing over in verse 12. Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. And you see in verse 14, this confession of faith, you do see. There's a shift from I to you. A shift from either the first or third person. Sometimes you're praying in the third person about injustice for against other people. Sometimes you're praying about injustice against yourself, right? But it's that shift to you that's really critical. What it means is that lament is shaped in the form of the gospel. Because in the gospel, we have that profound sense 
of our brokenness, of our need, of the brokenness of our world. And that the only Savior, the only hope, is the one true God who sent His only begotten Son. Right? That's how prayers of lament work. They start in the confession of brokenness. Our own brokenness and the brokenness of our world. But they move to a focus on the Savior. A focus on the one who can deliver. The one who can save. Our Lord Himself, let me go two slides forward now to uh, the fact that our Lord Himself prayed a prayer of lament on the cross. It required the incarnation to finally define that indefinable word about God, His chesed, His loving faithfulness, His loyal love. It can never be contained by human words. It demanded an incarnate word to express its fullness that God would pour Himself completely out, that He would come all the way to the broken world, that He would take on flesh and take on our sin. And here's the the wonder about the cross, brothers and sisters, is not only did the Lord take on our sins, He took on the ways we are sinned against. He took on the ways we're sinned against as well. And by His stripes we are healed. So Jesus pours out His heart to the Father. And He's saying, My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. It's a psalm of lament. If you read the psalm, and I would encourage you, we don't have time today, but if you would go back and read Psalm 22, you'll see so much of Jesus' experience of the cross. Even how His clothing is going to be raffled away while He's on the cross. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he laments over the city, Luke 19. When he struggles with the Father in Gethsemane, he laments. And most importantly, in his cry from the cross. So if we are to be conformed to his image, we must learn this lost language of lament. If we're going to know our Savior's heart, the brokenness of the city of Jerusalem and the city of St. Louis and the city of O'Fallon, and the city of St. Peter's, and on and on the list goes. We're going to have to recover the language of lament. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest that what we see from Micah 6, what we see from Isaiah 58, what we see in Luke 18, is that God wants us to learn to pray with our feet as well as our mouths. So back in April, you could go to the Faith for Justice slide, the morning march, praying with our feet. Thank you. So I have a friend named Michelle Higgins, and I met Michelle in my Greek class. She's an African-American woman, uh, grew up in the church, and um, We had a lot of fun in Greek class, this sort of banter back and forth, uh, and we just became friends right away. And we've been friends for a long time now. 
And back in April, she called me on the phone. And she said, uh, she calls me Dr. Perry. I keep trying to, to get her to call me Greg. She's graduated now, but uh, Hannah, you still have to call me Dr. Perry. <laughs> but uh, I keep trying to get her to call me Greg, and she called me on the phone, Dr. Perry. Uh, I want to know if you'll participate in this morning march, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Now, this march, it's a protest. We, um, we're going to gather at a Church of Christ on Del Mar, and maybe you've seen the BBC documentary on the Del Mar Divide uh, in the city of St. Louis. It's about a five-minute clip. Uh, Google it or YouTube it. It'll come up uh, about our city, the brokenness of our city. And we gathered at the Church of Christ. Uh, you probably heard that in 2015... The city of St. Louis and East St. Louis had the distinguishing characteristic of being the highest murder rate per capita in the nation. And so we were mourning the murders in our city. And we were mourning the deaths of so many African Americans in our country. The list was getting very long. Charleston had happened before that, Cincinnati, Texas. Detroit, right? Uh, so many. And of course, Michael Brown and Ferguson before. Um, and so we had some families who had family members killed, even some who had been killed in a drive by shooting where shots just went into the house. Nine year old was shot dead, right? And so we were weeping, weeping about. What's going on in our city? Crying out to God that He would come and He would change things and He would turn the hearts of neighbors towards one another, the hearts of neighbors towards the police and the police towards their neighbors, etc. Right? And she said, Now, Dr. Perry, I want you to respond to a complaint. I had met Brittany on the streets in a unity march. Brittany is a young African-American woman um, in her 20s. And uh, first time I met Brittany, it was a very raw experience. It sort of took me back. A lot of pain, a lot of anger coming out. A lot of pain. And that's the thing, brothers and sisters, to keep in mind. Is oftentimes where there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of pain. And that should inform our prayers. And not just put us off. Yes, it might set us back. But think about it. Think about the history of our country. Think about the history of our city. And I said, Michelle, I'm going to have to think about it. I'm going to have to pray about it. I have to think about the possibility of being arrested. And what that means if a seminary professor gets arrested. And all that kind of thing. So you have to, have to work through this. I have to pray about that. And so it was clear. It was very clear. Luke 18 is exactly where the Lord led me. That's why it's such a part of what I'm talking to you about today. Is because when the Lord gives a word, you've got to do something about it. You've got to do something about it. And so we gathered at the Church of Christ. And then together we were to march down Del Mar. Symbolic of our Del Mar divide. 
It was on April the 4th, which is the anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. And we're lamenting all of the death in our city, brokenness in our city. We had negotiated with the police. We had talked with them beforehand. Our plan was to turn left down Euclid and to circle up in the intersection of Maryland and Euclid, which is a very sort of, you know, nice part of the Central West End. A lot of restaurants there on those corners, right? Our purpose was to disrupt business as usual in our city, that we can't just keep doing life the same way. That our neighbors are being killed. We have to stop and take notice. And we have to cry out to God for God to see and for God to act, right? And so, that day, we marched. It was a liturgical march. It was a march of lament. The shape of what happened when we stopped in that intersection was that Brittany was going to bring a complaint And then I was to respond with a confession. Right? I was to respond with a confession. You see, confession is a form of lament. This is the next slide. Confession is lament for the sin that began in the garden. The painful honesty that confession demands is the fabric of all lament, as is the deep need for forgiveness and restoration. It's about our sins, and it's about being sinned against. Right? Well, that day, Brittany, who's not a Christian, but something has happened with Brittany. Brittany's been hanging out with Christians. She's been hanging out with Michelle. She's been coming to South City Church, and she'll just come in, and she'll sit in the balcony. She doesn't want, you know, a lot of people seeing her. But she knows something's different. That the business is, is not business as usual in the church anymore. That the pain she feels about how the church has disappointed her and her neighbors um, is changing. And so she brought a complaint that day. It was a complaint about churches abandoning the city. About churches starting schools, not in the city, but outside the city. Right? And so here was my prayer. Hear our plea, Lord. Show us your mercy. Forgive us for neglecting the pain of our neighbors, for treating you as our personal Savior, but not as the Lord of our city. Enable us by your forgiving grace to love our neighbors by working together for justice in our courts, in our policing practices, in the opportunities that our schools and marketplaces provide. For you've told us clearly, Lord, the kind of worship you receive is to break the bonds of oppression, to pay a fair wage, to declare to everyone the year of the Lord's favor. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the thing, why a lot of people are nervous, and and I don't believe that the Lord calls us all to work for justice in the same way. The Lord has called me to be involved in these protests, not every time, but consistently. What particularly attracts me is when the protest is an act of public worship like it was that day, was calling in prayer for God to act and calling for him to act on our own hearts together. But part of what scares friends, and we'll go to the next one here, is, oh, actually this is one I I added. Um, 
Loving God and loving neighbor are interdependent. And, you know, a lot of us are waiting for the perfect opportunity. A lot of us are waiting for the perfect protest. A lot of us are waiting sort of, you know, like for the perfect safe situation to get involved. But I'm not perfect. And my neighbors aren't perfect. And there are no perfect situations. And so if we're going to get involved in working for justice, in praying with our feet and our hands, we'll be in contact with non-Christians. We'll be in contact with people who are very different from us. And guess what? Our God's big enough. Guess what? God's patient with me. God's patient with you. He's patient with our neighbors. But brothers and sisters, it's time. It's time to move out and be the people of God. Not just in the sanctuary, but on the streets as well. And in our jobs as well. And in our schools as well. And in our courts. In our elections. In discussing public policy. God calls us to cry out to Him in public for the healing of our city. You know, that's at the very heart of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is heaven's throne like? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a prayer that professes profound discontent with the status quo. It says no. Life is not the way it should be. It's broken by sin. We need a Savior. We need your presence, Lord, in every part of our lives. Right? So I'd like to close our time... um, can't see the clock very well. What time is it? Oh my goodness. Did I go too long? Oh, okay. Okay, okay. we're okay. There'll be, a, there'll be an opportunity maybe for, for little questions. I will ask. That's <laughs> good. I'd like to close with a prayer of lament. I've written a prayer of lament. A lament that protests injustice. Now, the prayers of confession are also important, uh, as I just modeled before that day uh, in the intersection there. Um, oftentimes, it's really important. I don't know about you, but I get into pretty, pretty bad ruts in my prayer life. And one of the ways that I notice that is that I keep calling God the same name, Right? Father God is a very, a very common uh, name. It's a good name for God. It's a biblical name for God. Jesus says, Abba, Father. It's very important, right? But if you look through the Psalms, one of the things that's really, really enlightening and illuminating is that oftentimes the psalmist will choose a name or an image for God that relates to his need. If you need guidance, you can cry out to the one who is light. 
the light of the world, the one who is wisdom, right? You can cry out to God in that way. If you need protection, if you need deliverance, you can cry out to the rock who is higher than you, to the fortress, right? That's how the psalmist prays, is he connects his address to God with his needs, right? Now, we've talked about that righteousness and justice is the foundation of his throne. And so, in this prayer, and uh, maybe we can go to the next slide here and pray this. Yeah, one more slide. That's your homework assignment, writing a prayer of lament. Okay. So, maybe we can just pray this together. Um, And I've written this. It's a short prayer. Um, But I address God as the high king of heaven. Because righteousness is his foundation of his throne. Let's pray together. High King of heaven, though you are exalted above the earth, you see us. You lean over to hear our cries. For you are our God. You are a father to the fatherless. And you draw near to the brokenhearted. In you, justice and mercy embrace. Righteousness is the foundation of your throne. In the story of your covenant love, you accomplish many wonders to deliver your people from the schemes of those who care nothing for justice. When we hear news of yet another murder of African-American neighbors in our city, our hearts sink. When we see our streets filled with tear gas and our police forces covered in riot gear, we cry out, Lord, have mercy. Turn your face towards us, Lord, and turn our hearts towards our neighbors, that we might pull together to make our schools, workplaces, playgrounds, and municipal services work for all our citizens. Fill your churches with your Spirit's energy and gifts, that we might be instruments of your peace and reconciling grace in the St. Louis region. When you answer, Lord, we will speak of your wondrous deeds at your banquet and around our tables of hospitality. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to take the time in your time with the Lord to work through and write out a prayer of lament. Maybe there are things pressing on your heart in the news. And and the Lord's given you a passion about that justice issue. Whether it's the life of the unborn, uh, whether it's the war in Syria, and all the people who are suffering because of that, whether it's the state of our elections and the role of money in our elections now. There's so many opportunities, unfortunately, to pray prayers of lament. So let me just encourage you. Thank you for the opportunity to be together and to seek the Lord together, the one who is righteousness and justice. I don't know if we have a time for a question or two, Pastor David, or questions or comments or concerns. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. 
that is um, that psalm is a antiphonal psalm of praise. So it kind of goes from one side of the temple to the other. Your mercy endures forever is an echo. So that psalm is a psalm of, of praise. Yeah. There's several different kinds of psalms, uh, about five different kinds of psalms. And uh, so, yeah, that one's a psalm of praise. Um, there are confession psalms, like Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, right? Uh, that is a form of lament as well. So psalms of confession are lamenting our own sins, right? That's David. Yeah, David regarding his sin with Bathsheba, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, ma'am. The next march of some sort might be or take place in the city? Um, I don't at the moment. Um, But Faith for Justice has a Facebook page and a website. Uh, That's been the organization that I trust and that I've been involved with. Uh, So look for Faith for Justice online. I think it's faithforjustice.org. And then they also have a Facebook page. um, And they send notifications uh, and again, realize that there's some notices will make you uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, you won't see things exactly the same way sometimes. That's okay. We might have different ways of getting to justice, uh, but the important thing is that we share the importance of justice and that we're working towards it together. Yeah. Yes. So, because I, I feel like I used to do this, and the Lord had to like stop me. It's almost like um, I would stay in that lament, mm-hmm. and it's like you just you just start agreeing with almost like your flesh, and um, just like you know, like either woe is me or like this is terrible, God, like why? why? And then it's like you, I, I wasn't moving into the confession of faith. Right. And so, like, do you feel like the church, like, does that a lot where it's like we take on the burdens that the Lord gives us and, like, we don't give it back to him? Mm-hmm. That crossing that line is so important. Um, or we would go into despair. Yeah. You know? There's two things. There's two parts of the prayer of lament to keep us out of despair. The confession of faith and what's called a vow of praise. We, we make a promise to God that when He answers, we're going to give Him the credit. Amen. So, so there's two things in a, in a prayer of lament. If you want to look at an example, um, go with me to Psalm... Let's see here. Psalm 13 is a prayer of lament. And notice um, two things in verses 5 and 6. But I trusted in your steadfast love. That's that confession of faith, right? My heart will rejoice in your salvation. And then here's the vow of praise. Verse 6. Moves to the future tense. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. So most Psalms of lament, not all of them, but most of them, end with a vow of praise. That you're going to give God the credit when He answers. So those two elements are, are there, I think, to give us hope yeah. that this is really the Lord's battle. Yeah. And He calls us to participate, right. but he's, he's the one who's won the day, and He's going to lead us. Amen. Yeah. 
Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dr. Perry, that's my mom. Hi. Mrs. Vaughn, nice. Nice. <laughs> nice to meet you. Oh, by the way, you have a wonderful daughter. She's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I was wondering if you could possibly um, share um, an experience of a lament of prayer that you had mm-hmm. that was individual, mm-hmm. um, that was very poignant in your life. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very personal. Thank you. For that. <laughs> well, well, one that you could share maybe with us. One that I could share with you, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so... Um, in regards to justice. Oh, in regard to justice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so when I was uh, when I lived in the Washington D.C. area, I was involved with a. I led an organization called Birth Mother Ministries, which was providing training. We partnered with local churches all around the D.C. area to provide one-on-one Christian caregiving training uh, to match women with women who were facing unplanned pregnancies. So we had a hotline, and there would be a call would come in. And then we'd patch them through to our call coordinator. And then we would match them with a, we called them friends, birth mother friends. And there were so many situations, you know, most of the women who were in these situations were in these situations not only because of their own sin, but much more because of the ways they'd been sinned against. And we had, you know, Lots of different situations where we were crying out to God. We had one situation where a woman had grown up in the church and had gotten involved with um, her boyfriend was in a gang and he was dealing drugs. And she wanted to get out. And yet she had become pregnant by him. And she'd already told him she was not going to be with him anymore, right? She had to get in like a witness protection program. We, we were involved in helping to find her safe housing. It was pretty scary stuff. We were crying out to God. And, and the joy was that I got to be there on the day that her son, David Emmanuel, was lifted up to God and dedicated to the Lord. That was, that was a day. We had 19 people who were involved in her case who were at that worship service that day. And it was a glorious day. We paid a vow of praise that day. We paid a vow of praise. Yeah. So that's, that's one. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Now we've got a schedule to keep. Uh, any more? Stump the professor questions. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. And uh, thank you for the invitation.
Lord has been good to us. Amen. It's been really a wonderful uh, foundation conference. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. So I, I was talking with uh, uh, Steve Sanders earlier, and he said, you know, it's like after these sessions, I feel like I just need to go be alone and process and write things down. And so, you know, we, you've been bombarded with the word. I mean, it's like, you know, carpet bombing, right? Last night, today, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. And everything that I've heard has been really good. I mean, just on. And, and if it, you've, surely you've noticed how the Holy Spirit um, tied the burdens that he gave the speakers together. How Rob focused on Jesus' compassion, right? And how Dr. Perry talked about Jehovah's loving kindness. I mean, clearly there's a theme that God is wanting us to hear. Um, the themes of prayer, the themes of supplication, lament, uh, worship, um, and of course the foundation of all that we do being the Word of God. Um, so uh, there's a lot here. So I, I'm not going to make the, the conference go on any longer other than just to say this. Re- recall the th- our real theme. Our theme is not doing the church, it's being the church. And the difference isn't a one word. The difference is whether what we hear becomes part of us. Part of us. And that doesn't happen in in two days. So my exhortation is to take what God has given you. Some of you, God spoke to you strong about lament. Maybe some of you spoke strongly about the word. Or maybe, you know, one sub point in one of the talks. But that was the thing God wanted to give you this weekend. Take that and take that before the Lord. And let him, ask him, how do I now begin to live this out? Because when we live out the truth, then we're, we're being the church. We're not doing church, we're being the church. So, please, you know, God has just planted so much in us as we can, but we got to take it home. We got to meditate over it, review your notes, uh, pray, and, 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 you know, Lord, how do I be the church and how do we as a community? I mean, we're doing a lot as a community. We're, we're, uh, have a wonderful pro life outreach. We're doing some work with homeless men. We're doing things, but there's, as Dr. Perry said, there's no lack of needs. You know, is there more? Does he want us to meet monthly and do nothing but pray for these needs? What does he want us to do? So let's, you know, seek the Lord together on these things, and then I think we'll see good fruit come. Um, yeah, it's, it's been really, really good. I want to say a quick prayer blessing on all of us, and then I'm going to give this nice Bible away. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've put into us this weekend. And I'm already looking forward to coming to church tomorrow. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the worship. I'm looking forward to, to the sacrament. I'm looking forward to prayer, the word, everything you're going to do tomorrow. Uh, I pray, Lord, that even now for your blessing on our gathering there, that, that we would just lift you up. We glorify the name of Jesus, and we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.